0: Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. How many of you have been to Alaska? I have twice, although my wife would say I have not been to Alaska because I've only been to Ketchikan, which is the southeastmost point of Alaska. She would consider that to be more like northern British Columbia. But it said Alaska when I was there, so I checked it off my list, and it's now one of the 49 states to which I have been. And it was interesting there. It was, great. It was a lot of fun. I, 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 I caught fish, even though I'm not a fisherman. I caught halibut. And salmon, halibut. Have you ever seen a halibut? They are these flat fish with eyes that are up on the top. They weigh, oh, 30 to 80 pounds or so. And when you catch one and you reel it in, it's like reeling in a garage door. Until the eyes pop out of the water and then you got issues. And I loved being out on the open ocean. We were in a 21-foot skiff, which, you know, what's that about the length of a pew? That's not the biggest boat in the world. There were three of us in that 21-foot skiff. And we were out in the open ocean past Last Island. And Last Island is called Last Island because you guys are bright. And we're out there past last island and the swells are majestic and we're pitching and rolling and one of the three of us in the boat was a retired Coast Guard captain and he was hanging over the side of the boat. Not doing well. Love the eagles. Although they're, they're more like scavenger birds in Alaska. They're, they do things you don't think an, a, an eagle should do. And they're, they're more like crows here. And I love the whales, the big humpback whales. These things have entire ecosystems growing on their backside. We were so close to a couple of them, one of them dove under the boat and came up on the other side, and you could feel the movement of the water underneath. I saw a hundred humpback whales. Or I saw 20 humpback whales five times each. <laughs> no way of knowing. But you know what I really liked? I liked the, I liked the rhythm of the place, and I, I could feel it in my very being. And it, it, it might have been the tidal movement, because tides have impact on us, you know? And there's a 17-foot tide swing where I was, which is kind of a significant... But the pace, the rhythm just seemed to kind of embrace everything. It was like there weren't separate things, it was all one thing, and one would lead into the next. Here, I feel a little more compartmentalized, eh? you know you run over here and you do this and you have these expectations from these people over here and you get with these people and fulfill this role and then you do this thing over here and you're meeting yourself a coming and a going not there. there there was kind of a seamlessness to life and all things were connected you know there is a a rhythm to our spiritual life as well, the Greek word for rhythm is rhythmus, which means flow. And our, the rhythm of our spiritual life is in some ways like a tidal movement. We come in, we go out, we sweep in, we sweep out, we come in to be fed. We bring our hurts and our aches and our questions and our doubts and our misgivings. And here we are fed, we find rest, we, we tuck, tuck ourselves into the comfort of a loving God and then having been fed, having been refreshed, having been renewed, having been equipped, we sweep back out to do our holy work. And the outing is every bit as much a part of the rhythm as the in-ing. We come to be renewed, to be reconnected, to be reinvigorated, and we leave to do our holy work. Somewhere along the line, somewhere, and I don't know when it happened, we have confused the essential aspect of a congregation's life We have a tendency to think that when the congregation is gathered, it is exercising its primary function, and so we put a premium on things that happen here. Truth is, the scattering is every bit as much a part, if not more so, of a congregation's life than the gathering. Epiphany, being epiphany in a hundred different places... During the week, each person doing his or her holy work in his or her own place. See, this is not so much a arrival point as it is a launching pad. And let me tell you, if a, if a congregation ever caught the vision of that and became serious about equipping its members to be effective in their holy work while the congregation was in its dispersed mode, that congregation would impact the community. And that's the reason and the only reason a congregation exists. See, the rhythm of our spiritual life, sweep in, sweep out, but it's meant to be seamless. No distinction between the in and the out, between the sanctuary and the workplace. They're essentially the same thing, just different expressions of living in and under. The grace of God. But let me tell you, if if either of those aspects is missing, If we come here to be fed and are not, or if we come here and we're closed to being fed by word and sacrament, or if we don't leave here with a sense of going about our holy work, the rhythm is broken and then we're compartmentalized. Disconnected, dissatisfied, empty, fatigued, and searching for significance. And make no mistake, make no mistake, the coming is critical. The sanctuary, absolutely essential. We come here to hear of the grace and love in which we live and move and have our being. But the primary context of our spiritual life is what we do out there in our work, whatever that is, whether we are teachers or house parents or salesmen or managers or business owners or retired folk or pizza delivery folk or students or massage therapists. Those are not jobs. Those are vocations. They are places of calling. They are the laboratory in which we work out what is embedded here. And see, if we don't have a sense of vocation, folks, if we don't have a sense of the holiness of our calling, if we don't leave here with an excitement and a sense of personal renewal in our mission, we're out of rhythm. And then what we do out there is the real world. <laughs> or it's irrelevant, or it's drudgery, or it's an idol by which we measure ourselves. We're continuing with our little, little, our Lenten initiative that we're calling D-square, DD deeper discipleship, and we actually have four separate tracks going here. We have the discipleship challenges. We're going to talk about those in 11 minutes. We have the fellowship hour, the Bible study, which are very pointed and practical instruction on discipleship issues. How to read the Bible. You know, we talk all the time about read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Bible. We never tell anybody how to do it. How to pray. What is a steward? Are we really supposed to tithe? Wednesday evenings, we're, we're, we're looking at some basic descriptions of what a disciple looks like. We've done three of them. We're already on our fourth midweek Lenten service coming up. And then these Sunday mornings, we're looking at the life of David, and we're pulling events from David's life, and then we're making application to our own. So far, we've talked about the fact he was anointed by Samuel, set apart, chosen. You're chosen. Happened over there for some of you. We talked about David's basic characteristic that he was exuberant, he danced, there's an innate joy that belongs to disciples. In coming weeks, we're going to talk about what happens when it just all kind of feels like it isn't working. That's wilderness. Then we're going to talk about the big challenges that you and I face, giants, we'll look at Goliath. Then we're going to talk about sin and grace as we deal with Bathsheba and Nathan, and then we're going to talk about refreshment. But here's what we're doing today we're talking about vocation, calling. So here's the story. And the Bible passage is actually listed in the worship folder, the the portion of 1 Samuel from which this is coming. But here's the story David was anointed to be king, so he went off to the palace. Not to be the king, to serve the king. In fact, he was serving a failed king. And King Saul, that's quite a story in and of itself, and we don't have time. He started out so well, and he wound up being a mess. And here's what happened he used God in order to do a good job as a king. And any time you reduce God to being a means to a different end, you got troubles. David spent 20 years serving Saul or running and hiding from Saul. It was a a king serving a king, an anointed one serving an anointed one, and it wasn't like this was some apprenticeship in, in the palace. This wasn't like the son of the company owner who has to start in the mail room in order to learn the ropes of the company. David had been anointed to do king work, which is ruling, And his king work, ruling, was serving a failed king. See, for David, ruling and serving were the same thing. There was no distinction. He had been anointed by God to be servant of God, which meant ruling by serving a failed king. And it's absolutely no different for you and for me. We are anointed to do king work. Because once we're brought into the kingdom, everything we do is king work. And we leave here to go out there to do our work, and our work is not teaching or selling or managing or buying or being retired. It's king work. And we rule as we serve by teaching, selling, managing, buying, being retired. You know, every now and then I hear somebody tell me that they feel like they are called into church work. The inference is that somehow that's more holy or spiritual than what they had been doing. Just not true. I've done both I've been in the church, out of the church. I have to tell you, I felt more called out of the church than I ever felt called into the church. See, what we've done, we have confused church work with kingdom work. And church workers can be kingdom workers, but it's not their position that makes them such. It's the awareness that they are living out their God relationship in the midst of church just as others are living out their God relationship in the midst of their work or home or being retired. All of work for us in the kingdom, all of work is connected to the sovereignty of God and is intimately related to the kingdom. In fact, when we're doing our king work out there, that's part of what we mean when we pray, thy kingdom come, because as we're doing our kingdom work, the kingdom is... And since it's all the same, since all of our king work is an expression of the sovereignty of God, it's all high and holy, whether it's done with an alb and a cincture or an apron. And since our work is connected to the kingdom, an expression of the sovereignty of God whatever we do, it is God at work. God is at work through you in whatever it is that you do out there. And here's what God is at work to do, to bring order out of chaos, to guard the sanctity of life, to deliver victims from misfortune, to extend pardon and peace and mercy, to bring dignity to land and people. That's The kingdom coming. That's what you and I do. That's exciting. And you know what? We may never, ever see the fruits of our labors, the patient tilling of a relationship, the careful planting of a seed of hope, the faithful performance of the most menial and tedious and mundane and boring tasks like ironing. But if those things are done as an extension of the kingdom... They bring their holy result. And for most of us, our king work is quiet work, gentle work, surrendered work, work which may not even seem to have any ultimate purpose or meaning. It doesn't flash in titles or accolades or retirement parties or raises. It's simply the living out of our God relationship in the midst of whatever surrounds us, it's the seamless going of our worship. That is always empowered by the coming of our worship, as we come to the cross at the invitation of the one upon it, that great act of love by which we are connected to kingdom, redeeming us so that our lives can fulfill their original purpose, being spirit filled grace marinated, and totally centered in and around kingdom. the rhythm is simple. Boy, it's profound. We come in, we go out. We come to sanctuary. We come to hear the gospel. We come with our aches and our failures and we take in the message of unconditional love and we bask in the warmth of grace by which we are renewed and refreshed. And for the moment, every burden is lifted and every weight is removed. And we're at Rest. And we hear the proclamation that even our forgetfulness of who we really are and our refusal to live as king workers is completely forgiven. And we're infused with the holy breath of God and filled with the wonder of who he is and who we are in him. And we are at peace and primed. Primed this is why I think every congregation should offer communion every Sunday so we gather around table and are not only fed and nourished but nurtured in order to complete the rhythm and step back out back from whence we came back to home and office work and play bedroom and kitchen there to do our king work serving the one who anointed us to serve his creation. Come, go, sanctuary, workplace, be fed, rule by serving. It's seamless. It's what we sometimes call worship. And so be it. Amen. And now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ our King. Amen. This is our little time of sharing, and we're going to look at those discipleship challenges. How many of you have actually completed... I wish there was some other word we could call it other than a bingo card. How many of you have completed a line anywhere? Okay, Pam, which line did you complete? The top line... I don't have mine with me. What, so what? The top left is what? Who's got their thing with them? <laughs> the top one is what? Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. You know, we are 39.6 through percent through Lent as of yesterday. Yet the top line is Jesus. Thanks, Rod. <laughs> Commit to worship. You've done that. And you even come on time. You get here early. And share Jesus with someone, and you did that? Excellent. Do you want to talk about that or you just want to say I did that? She lost her daughter. Okay, through AARP, a friend, and she had need, and you were able to speak the gospel into her life. Excellent. A random act of generosity. We're going to go over to Illinois next week to help a girlfriend. Okay, so you're, you're, you're going to Illinois next week to help a girlfriend. Okay. You know that random act of generosity? Have you ever just, you're, you're in line at the drive-thru at, at Jimmy John's. Getting your number 16, no mayo add cheese. And the car behind you, and you tell the person, I'm paying for the car behind me. You ever do that? Or just pay for the groceries behind, or the person behind you in line. Make sure you're in the 20 items or less line. <laughs> you know. Just do something. Back in, in Chicago, there were tolls. And I would often go through the toll thing and give the person extra money to pay for the couple of cars. And we were in, where were we when we were having dinner and we decided to pay for the dinner of that young couple who looked like they were on their first date? (laughs) They were, oh, it was so awkward. So we just said to the stewardess, no, the waiter, waiter, (laughs) we'll cover that dinner over there. Any other random acts? You what? Isn't that, how did you feel? I felt humbled. Humbled. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Because, you know, there's a grace. There's a grace in giving. There's also a grace in receiving. And we have to be able to say, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Because that was God at work through that. Mm -hmm. Pam, you pray for those in your neighborhood. My neighbor has two sons. He's a renowned alcoholic. He's now out of state. And he's doing well. He's married. He has his own house. Excellent. So, excellent. So, you've got a neighbor with two sons. One has issues. Things are going well. And then the last one across the top was getting to know a member of Epiphany better. So, you got to know Ruth. I saw the two of you sitting together a little bit. And you said, We're checking off our box. Did you check off yours too, then, Ruth? Okay. <laughs> Anything else? Anybody else have any experience? To, and see, we, we, we want to this is a time that we can share and just kind of talk through this is what, how it's working for me. This is important for us, and we don't usually allow ourselves the opportunity to do this. Anna. Well, I uh, have the on call meeting. Yes. Yes. Yep. That's in row three, the second one in from the left. That one we should all be marked off. Judy? I've been on time twice. You've been on time twice. (laughs) Is that 945 for you? (laughs) Good for you. Well, you know, we had had kind of a, a, a shortened front of our worship and... Uh, it was like 9.36 and we're into the readings already and we, we're still nine minutes away from the 9.45 service starting. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, sir. You drove Miss Beth um, and her friend all the way down to the, um, the flooding lands in Nebraska. We got, it was a 10-hour drive. You drove Miss Beth... All the way to the flooding lands in Nebraska, and it was a ten-hour drive. You got, twice. you got pulled over twice. Cut off. Oh, cut off twice. Cut off. Oh, what? Got pulled over twice <laughs> too. Oh, this is good. So, a ten-hour drive with Miss Beth. too. You should be able to mark off all of these. I'm thinking. Well done. Thank you. We're going to take opportunity now to gather our offerings.